All right. Welcome to the CXM Experience. And as always, I'm your host, Grad Khan, CXO or Chief Experience Officer at Sprinkler. And today I am joined by uh, two people I got a chance to spend a bit of time with in February. Uh, Michael Cross, who's the AVP for Digital Transformation at uh, HGS, and Amanda Sternquist, who's the Global Head of Digital Engagement Practice, also at HGS. And today we're going to talk about a couple of major topics. One, we're going to talk about growth and how people are thinking about growth in the context of modern channels. And then we're going to talk about the... um, rapid evolution to digital over the last year and how that's taken some companies by surprise and probably a bunch of stuff uh, in between. But uh, let me get started. Amanda, Michael, welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Grad. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thank you. So just to get things rolling, just so people kind of know a little bit about you and maybe a tiny bit about HGS, Amanda, maybe you could just start by quick intro of yourself, sort of background what you do at HGS, and then Michael will go to you. And then we'll just, I think, start, I think we'll, I like to start with the topic of growth and I'll sort of cue it up and then we can talk about what your points of view on that are. Yeah, thanks. So um, I, Amanda Sternquist, my name, um, I lead our global digital experience practice, which means that I work with brands all over the world every single day to help them transform their digital um, customer engagement processes and strategies. Some of them are just getting into it. Some of them have been in it for a long time, but everyone needs support in terms of understanding what's possible, what's the next best thing for them. So my my long 19-year history in social media and digital marketing has led wow. me to my um, to my role today where I absolutely love what I do. And um, sharing that insight is the best part. It's pretty awesome. I mean, you're you're so fortunate to be working in the future. Mm-hmm. Like it's such a great you're like you're you're in a situation where you're never going to run out of runway on your job. It's not like you're consulting for, you know, forestry, you know, and, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know like industries that I mean, yeah. forestry is a bad example because I guess trees will always be around. But but there, there are, it does feel like there's, you know, sometimes people get stuck in spots where. Uh, it's uh, the industry is sort of dying. You're in the beginning of everything. It's uh, amazing. Well, would, yeah. If you were to just, if you were to say, look at a sort of industry spectrum, mm-hmm. what percentage of the journey do you think we're on right now as an industry? And where are we in the first quarter, the first half, the first 10%? Oh gosh, I would definitely say we're in the first 10%. I mean, okay. customers, our customers, our clients, brands, as a whole are just dipping their foot in the water of understanding the potential behind, you know, the modern customer need and desired experience. And by modern customer, I mean, those, those Gen Z's that are aging into purchase decision-making roles and who are attached to mobile devices. I think it's the latest statistic is upwards of four uh, devices at any given time is what they have access to. So they don't like the idea of picking up a phone anymore. And so brands are really having to adjust to how can I reach this audience uh, without making them step outside of their comfort zone. Amazing. Okay, Michael, quick intro and your role, and then we'll get into this. Sounds good. Thanks, Michael Cross, AVP of Digital Transformation for HGS Digital. My role is to really uh, go out there and turn over uh, opportunities that then get handed to Amanda for delivery. 
okay. we, we, we do work with some of the largest brands in the world and, and we have a lot of fun doing this, helping these organizations solve problems, inherent problems and issues that they have with their, their customer base is kind of paramount to what we do. So it's fun. I, I was a sprinkler. I'm a sprinkler alumni. So I was at sprinkler for a few years. I left for a little bit and, you know, that itch to get back into the social CX practice really hit me hard. I really wanted to get back into this space and, and it's just exciting to be in it. And for the reasons that some of the reasons that Amanda talked about, right, like the uh, the 10% where we're at on the spectrum of really hitting people, right, with this, uh, with the technology that's available to them is there's staggering amounts of opportunity and capability and really the ability to drive change within these big organizations is, is fascinating and fun. So, well, well, welcome back. We're glad you're back. You know, it is interesting. Linus Torvalds uh, wrote, no, was it Linus Torvalds? No, Mark Andreessen, I think, wrote an article in 2011 that software is eating the world. I don't know if you remember that article. Mm -hmm. It was a pretty famous blog post. And there was a little bit of a head scratch, I think, by a lot of people at the time. Software is eating the world. I don't, I don't get that, you know. Uh, today, it's pretty clear that software is eating the world. Now, software sometimes is delivered as a service. Sometimes software is on-prem. There's a lot of different software delivery models, but the, uh, the world is becoming software-driven. And I agree with you, Amanda, we're early mm -hmm. um, because software has no theoretical limit in terms of what we can right. do. All right, so let's talk a bit about, let's talk a little bit of maybe, before we go to growth, I want to pick up on something that you mentioned, Amanda, and then you talked about in our sort of pre-meeting, Michael, which is this shift to digital. And Amanda, you were talking about how kids don't want to pick up the phone. I don't want to pick up the phone either, by the way. So it's not just really, <laughs> not just isolated to Gen Z um, or Gen Z for our European uh, mm -hmm. listeners. Uh, and I, I would say that there is this, I think the big shift is this synchronous versus asynchronous. Yeah. Right. And there's so synchronous is I'm connected like we are right now, connected in real time to someone having a back and forth conversation. And then asynchronous being I can kind of connect and disconnect from that conversation at will. And uh, I have a, um, a niece named Zoe. Uh, she's my younger brother's daughter, niece Zoe. And uh, Zoe uh, is uh, old. I think she's probably in grade four or five right now. So reasonably young, reasonably young. And, uh, and she's uh, in online school for obvious reasons. And they made a decision to do a pure online model because the, the hybrid model was unpredictable on where the physical location was going to be. So they, and they're in Philip and they're in Pennsylvania. So it could be a very long drive. And the other day I was on the call, we do a weekly family call. And uh, Zoe uh, was talking about her day. And I said, what were you doing today? And she said, oh, well, today the teacher gave us asynchronous work. And I was thinking, Wow. <laughs> I think I just learned that word. <laughs> and here's, here's a nine-year-old just popping it out. Asynchronous work. Um, but I do think that's part of, part of the issue. Now, Michael, you made a comment that a lot of companies have been taken by surprise, that the sort of the quick shift from voice to digital feels quicker than they were expecting. And Amanda, you were talking about, you know, how to reach customers who don't want to talk to you and don't want to be asynchronously connected. Let's talk about that because, you know, I, I am a little confused, to be honest, 
because I feel like this has been going on for a long time. But I also agree with you that a lot of people do suddenly seem surprised by it. So how did they get surprised? Why were they surprised? And, and how do you see this trend playing out over the next few years? Yeah, I think COVID definitely came as that big eye-opening moment for a lot of people, right? Where all of a sudden, digital is the only way to continue doing your business when all the workplaces are shut down. Um, and it, it, it was this big surge of, okay, not only how can we address our customers' needs in this space, but how can we figure out this game for ourselves? How do we How do we continue to sell to our customers, not just address their needs, right? So all of a sudden there was this sudden urge to not only hang up the phone and, and, and such, but actually get out there and see what people are saying and learn from those conversations in terms of how can we take our business forward in this new world? Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, the interesting thing, and when, when I, when we were talking earlier about the voice to the, the digital shift, uh, digital and social shift is, you know, trying to trying to determine how we can keep contact with these these client bases when it it got tricky during COVID because they weren't face to face with you. You were really never seeing anyone. Restaurants were doing takeout only. Uh, mm. Airlines were basically shut down. You know, other than emergency work. So, uh, I, I think the brands that are really engaging on this are dealing with falling budgets, falling revenue, and how do we keep our tentacles on that customer base and and really remind them that we're a friendly face, right? Hey, remember when you flew a lot, we, you really liked flying on X airline, right? And trying to keep your hands on those customers is probably more important now than it ever has been, um, just because of the limited contact that you're having with them in a face-to-face environment. Well, it is interesting. I am hearing, so I have a, I'm kind of a, not quite like the two of you. You probably see more customers on a daily basis than I do, but I am seeing I do talk to about two or three customers a day. And what's been interesting to me is this theme of membership has been, oh, you're nodding your heads. Yeah. So this Mm -hmm. theme of membership uh, has been coming up more and more. And, um, And this is where, again, this is where old world, new world. So in the old world, when you used a CRM system to track and manage your customers connected to your, your voice based call center, right? the person became someone you could contact once you had a monetary transaction with them in this sort of new world of CXM or customer experience management or consumer experience management, depending on how you look at it, uh, someone could be attached to your brand, but it may not have ever had any kind of financial transaction with you. you may have just had a conversation or you may have entered a conversation. So the idea of membership is sort of kind of entering the sort of lexicon of can I create a community or members around my brand that may or may not be quotation marks customers? So like, let's talk about that a little bit. And what are you seeing there? Amanda, why don't you sort of start with that? And then Michael just sort of jump in as we're going through that. Yeah, I think having a really, uh, the, the idea of membership really helps you grow that solid audience that you can say, look, times are tough right now. We're not serving our customers as we would like to, but Here's what's on the you know roadmap for the next quarter, or the next year, or whatever it is. And so it's having that that constant touch point or that access to communicate with them because they want it, because they're welcoming it. And then you can transition that into continuing to sell to them and transition that membership only from, you know, from from a quiet observer to 
an active participant in your business. Who's doing it really well right now, Michael? Do you have any? There are, from a brand standpoint or a vertical standpoint? Maybe. Maybe vertical um, would be a good place to start, actually. Which verticals do you think are starting to make progress on this front? Well, I think uh, I think in Q in the QSR world, the quick serve restaurant world, they're doing a good job of managing oh, to that. Right? That's interesting. I, I think they're they're, okay, yeah. they're really going down that path of how do we create this consumer that doesn't just think of us as the place to go get a burger or a chicken sandwich or mm. diet coke, as I do. Um, that's very specific, look- by the way. <laughs> oh, there we are. Very specific. <laughs> um, I have to keep fueled somehow, uh, but. You know, they're doing a good job of it. I mean, trying to keep consumers in this in this day and age and in, in the way the world is now where there's millions of distractions, where years ago you had your phone and you had your TV, right? And, and for some of us, we even remember when there was just a phone on the wall and not one that you carried around with you. Now you have so many distractions. I think it's fundamentally of the utmost importance for these brands to really connect with their audience and really get them to think, hey, this is... This is something that I like and that I want to continue being a part of. And that sounds kind of hokey from a QSR perspective, like, you know, who who gets married to a a fast food joint. But, you know, you create some brand loyalty around it and and people will continue to kind of spin spin into your environment. And that's very important for those brands, right? Because that's a that's a fight on the street for mind share. Well, there is yeah, emotional think, connections. Sorry, go ahead, Amanda. Yeah. I was going to say, even more so, I think that, that that idea of loyalty as a whole is something that everyone's got to get on the bandwagon with because customers get this, this feeling of, oh, I'm part of something and I can't wait to get my next whatever it is and, and earn my points towards my discount or my freebie or that piece of the puzzle, you know, that they're that they're longing for. So a lot of those loyalty driven programs or or brands rather are really winning in this space with the way that they continually connect and encourage that communication and interaction with their customers. And there there it is an interesting space like uh, White Castle did a really interesting thing for Valentine's Day where you could if you went to White Castle on Valentine's Day they'd made up tables with like balloons and hearts and all sorts of stuff so so I actually uh, rented a limo and took my girlfriend to White Castle for Valentine's Day. Oh, we did other things too, just to be, just to be clear. I mean, it wasn't the only thing we did, but that was part of it. And uh, she loved it. It was really awesome. And then, and then in the same vein, you know, same girlfriend, when she, on her, when she was, she was married, uh, she had a you know, marriage before she met me. Uh, and in her first marriage, uh, on her wedding day, Okay. She never listens, by the way, she never listens to this podcast. So I can say whatever I want about her. So on her <laughs> wedding day, and this is a true story too. It's not a bad story. She, you know, they got married and then they went to the reception and in between there in the car with her new husband, uh, they stopped at Taco Bell. Wow. And she had like, she had a, the taco in her wedding dress taco, yeah. Yeah. on the way <laughs> to the reception. That is brand love. Mm-hmm. Like that that's is brand, brand love, brand, brand love, and optimism when you're wearing a white dress. And you're <laughs> yeah. Apparently, not a problem. She totally pulled right. it off. So, um, but anyway, but that is the, you're right. There's like in some of these food brands are almost like because food is an emotional component to it. They're trying to find that emotional thing. And to your point, Amanda, then gamify it as well and have people get stay engaged and be part of it. Very interesting. And you could be part of those things and sort of be part of those 
motions without necessarily buying the product. Well, and the gamification is really the interesting part of it because for a while I was on a little run where I was going to Chipotle all the time. And at the point <laughs> that I went brand? through that little, another great brand, but at that point they didn't have a loyalty program and I was actually not happy about it. I remember being like, uh, like, why are they not doing this? Is a great, I mean, from a marketing background, it's easy to say, Hey, it's a great way to capture data on your customer base. But from my perspective, it was like, I want to get points, right? I'm constantly thinking about it. You know, one of the things with COVID and not traveling is like, I want to get my points back from the hotels and the airlines. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's a, there's a trigger in all of our brains now as the world has gotten so, so digitized and there's so many points to touch that we all want some form of gamification around what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And some of the brands do it really well. And Chipotle actually does do it better now. But for a while there, they didn't. And I was really confused as to why they weren't. So it's it really is. Those loyalty programs are, they sucker you in a little bit. Mm -hmm. Or not sucker you in, but they just pull you in, right? It's they, not suckering because there's value. They engage you with emotional content. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Um, let's go with that. So I want to come back to this issue. I mentioned it briefly at the beginning, but I just want to bring it up again. I'm still a little stupefied that people were surprised by this. <laughs> I, I, every once in a while, like someone will say something like, yeah, that digital stuff really took us by surprise. And it's like 2021. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I think go ahead. Go ahead, Amanda. Yeah, you'd take this one. No, I think it's, you know, people felt like, you know, they, they were starting to map out what this transition might look like for their brand. And then all of a sudden, boom, the world shuts down. And now it's like, oh, I got to do this overnight. I'm not ready for this. You know, like this isn't this wasn't the plan. And, you know, they maybe have like a five year plan and all of a sudden it becomes a one week plan. Um, so, you know, for us, this is our sweet spot, right? Like this is where we just Michael and I just live and breathe is solving these problems and and creating these these pieces of the puzzle that fit together for them and to give them a whole picture of how this could really happen. And I think there are so many options out there that, you know, for us, one of the first, very first things we do is a tech evaluation. What have you mm. got right now? And does right. your tech stack up to what you're trying to accomplish here? And because there are so many options available, you know, it's a, it's a rough environment to be in if you don't have a really clear objective in terms of what your desired outcomes are. Well, I think there's a little bit of an issue generally that there's not really a legitimate unified growth platform out there. So, so if we were if we were talking about healthcare right now, we would be probably talking about the need to put Epic systems mm -hmm. in. I don't know if you're familiar with Epic Systems, but oh, yeah. great company in Madison, Wisconsin, one of the America's great companies, actually, I would say potentially one of America's greatest companies with great leadership and incredible, incredible team spirit and amazing culture. And it's an amazing campus too. Amazing yeah, campus. Campus. yeah. And they've done an incredible job of transforming an entire industry. And who knows, who knows how many lives Epic has saved uh, mm -hmm. because the ability to have all the patient information in one place and be able to manage outcomes more deliberately, um, you know, coupled with, you know, a good moves by the, by the government to be more outcome focused uh, is put Epic. Now, I think they're a 60% market share. And they, they took them a long time. It took a while to build the complete platform, but very rarely would you see a hospital say, I'm going to buy 25 different point solutions, hammer them all <laughs> together with like, you know, bailing mm -hmm. wire and spit and hope and all that kind of stuff. And then hope all that works somehow. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone goes, I'm going to buy Epic, implement it. And I, in, in some cases, you know, some hospital sp- systems have spent uh, a billion, I've heard as high as $5 billion implementing it. Uh, but then they're transformed. So in our space, so in kind of the commercial space, there's not really an Epic, right? Mm-hmm. And so what everyone is doing, and I'm feel free to debate me on this one, by the way, but what everyone's doing is they're essentially trying to compose an Epic unified system by buying a bunch of point solutions and hammering them together. Yeah. And the result is point solution chaos. And, right. and I think that may be part of the reason why people have stayed with voice and stayed with some of the more traditional techniques because gosh darn it, they work. Yeah. And the, the idea or the thought of migrating a CRM to any cloud-based software is sometimes nauseating for brands. They're like, we've got 40 years worth of data or more right here. And you're saying we've got to move this somewhere else. Like what? And then my my company has to learn how to use something else. So that's exactly what we see. And that is one of the biggest pain points. The only way to overcome that is to have some really transitional leaders that can envision that future state and, pep their teams up to get through this little hurdle that comes with making that transition. And it's a big risk, it's a big career risk to ask people to take. It's, it's a huge move. And, and I think that's, that's a, a very salient point is it's like having that right person inside of an organization who is really championing the, you know, the, the capabilities around digital and social yeah. and bringing that message forward to lead staff. And I think that was part of the disconnect is, you know, you had a lead staff who didn't grow up in this environment, this digitized environment. Uh, right. And and as the Gen Z or, you know, the younger folks had more access to the C-suite, you know, you start getting a blending of the ideas and then it starts to overtake, right? So I, th- I think the, the long haul, it would have happened eventually. I think some people are just being fast forwarded through it because of circumstances around COVID and, you know, tumbling, tumbling, uh, losses, uh, you know, to the, on the bottom line and, and really trying to figure out what, Hey, what's our strategy going to be when we spin out of this to get better and to be better mm-hmm. and be more customer centric and, uh, really trying, try and treat our customers as partners, as opposed to just people who are giving us money. And it's very transactional. Mm, great. Okay. Let's, let's kind of, let's double click on that. Uh, you're sort of touching on this, this issue of recovery, and another theme that I'm hearing as I travel around the world and obviously traveling virtually, I mean, it's pretty cool though. I mean, mm-hmm. today I, I basically, I don't know, I probably logged about 12,000 miles mm-hmm. uh, virtually yeah. between the different locations and, you know, now, how do we to... create an airline loyalty program for that? Zoom points. Zoom points. That'd be cool actually. Yeah. Zoomies. Yeah. A great yep. idea. Um, <laughs> I like it. Anyway. We'll put that one on the shelf for a second. That's a great idea. Uh, anyway, so um, what I'm hearing is that there have always been three things that business is worried about, right? There's how do I increase revenue? How do I decrease costs? And how do I manage risk? Those are always the things that every CEO has to sort of worry about and every board is concerned with. I do remember a time, if you think about the In Search of Excellence days, Tom Peters and those folks, kind of the 80s and early 90s, there was a different moment then where things were a lot harder back then. 
business was a lot harder. At one point, Japan was poised to be the number one economy in the world. Uh, there were movies. There was a movie with Michael Keaton where his factory, I don't even remember this movie, mm-hmm. was oh, just taken over by the Japanese yeah. and they all get thrown out of work. And there's like all sorts of stuff happening. And it was a very challenging time. And where a lot of those folks landed at the time was growth is the one thing you have to worry about. While keeping costs from being crazy, like you don't let them go out of control, but you can't grow your way to success by managing costs. Mm-hmm. You just have to keep costs from becoming a massive negative. And the same thing with managing risk. You can't grow your way to be a successful business by managing risk, but you do need to make sure you've got someone on top of that so that it doesn't get in your way. But growth is the imperative of the C-suite and the organization. And that kind of went a little bit out of fashion for a while because growth was easier. I think everyone's really worried about growth again. And no, they're worried so, about it now. Yeah. Oh boy. Right. Yeah. So it's, and so it's like, how do I start growing again? And, and now I've got all this disruption that's occurred. So how do I manage the new entrants and just, you know, disrupted consumers, disrupted habits, all the different things that are going to happen that stand in my way. So let's talk about growth and let's talk about how people are going to think about it, how you're seeing your customers think about growth, what are they doing? What tactics are they taking to address it? And what are they looking for from yourself and from the kind of other vendors that they work with? I think, um, you know, so far what we've been able to really show them is that there is more value in transitioning these sort of cost of doing business services to a digital environment. Because, you know, for example, the cost of picking up the the telephone when someone calls your 800 number can be upwards of $10 per call, where Mm. the cost of picking up a tweet when someone says, you know, hey, X Airlines, you guys canceled my flight and I didn't get my refund or whatever could cost you a buck 50 to address in digital. So it's this transition of, you know, out of the, the stone age, if you will, and into the modern era. Uh, you know, and, and looking at how can you use this digital world to not only lower your costs of doing business, but also gather really valuable insights that will provide you with operational decision points to grow more, you know. Hmm. And I think I think a really a conversation I've had three different times this week is around ROI on Right. So, okay. I think, yeah, I'm starting to I hear that taking, too. Yeah. Taking a tactic of talking about ROI on these investments that these organizations are making in either services on our end or for, for Sprinkler on the software side, it's, it's really important to address what could this mean for your organization by giving them real examples. And we can share real examples of how, if this organization retains you know, it takes 10% of their one-star reviews on Yelp or on Google, uh, Google mm-hmm. reviews, and they address those and they retain that customer, retain that business, mm-hmm. what it can mean for them when you extrapolate it out against the, the number of one-star reviews they have. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's really telling because you get a great response from that every time you tell that story. I have yet to have to hear someone go, well, that really doesn't make sense for our business. It's always, wow, can I find out more about that? Can you guys do a little bit of a deeper dive around that so that we can understand where we're missing, where the gaps are? Where are those, where are those, um, those customers that we so desperately need right now? Where are they falling off? Where are they going to and why? And how can we keep them in-house? That's a great example. You know, there's, um, there's one business I ran into 
where they were deliberately not reading their reviews because their perspective was once we start reading them, then we have to take action on them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not if a good I way to I can't see them, it didn't happen. Yeah. And like, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, that would probably be a thing you'd want to do. You'd want to take action on reviews. But they're like, we don't have the stat. They, 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 they had not scaled it. And I think, Michael, you talked a little bit about sort of setting up the customer and then Amanda kind of delivers the, the HGS digital sort of delivery system for it. So let's talk about this a little bit, which is, you know, people are to a certain extent stuck with a bunch of legacy systems that they have to keep running. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we come along in the digital realm and we're like, and we need to do all this other new stuff. And then like, I don't, I'm already not getting to everything I need to get to in the legacy side of things. I'm already resource constrained. I don't know how to peel resources off to move them to digital uh, without impairing what I know is generating something on the back end. So how do you manage that? And Amanda, as you think about implementing it, how are you measuring that? And Michael, how do you set that up? I'd love to see how the two of you work together on that front. Well, I, I'll, I'll start since I'm, I'm in the beginning and Amanda gets to do the heavy lifting. Um, <laughs> really, it, it's around talking about, you know, what is, what's the cost of not addressing this part of your business, right? So that's how I would address it. Someone is, is like, okay, you don't want to address your one-star reviews. You're a global brand with, uh, you know, let's say 12,000 locations and you have, you know, 250,000 one-star reviews a year and you don't want to address them. Well, here's what that's going to mean to you from value perspective, right? If each customer is, is the equivalent of $37 a year, you can start extrapolating out and you get into real math. And the nice thing is, is that, and, and you know, this is more, more about, uh, it, it's more about our partnership with Sprinkler is, you know, with a tool like that, and then us, us building it out and us helping out with strategy and managed services, I, in, in being able to staff that side of the building for you, we can help take them to that level without a real heavy interruption in their, in their staff or without adding to it or creating too much burden. So I think really in the world that we live in and the, you know, it, and by we, I mean, Amanda and me, we need to, we need to really be clear in how we're not going to disrupt their world. We're going to enhance their world. So that's the that's the vision that I'm I'm out there talking to people about. And then Amanda, and I'll hand it off to her, gets to do, you know, she gets to do all the dirty work. Yeah. So absolutely. That that value realization is exactly where we can make this sort of dream come true for them, right? So um we're listening to all of these different conversations already. What is the cost implication if you don't act? And what is the reward if you do act? So it's all about customer retention and customer acquisition, but also with the customers that you do have that are everyday fans, it's dropping in and doing some of that suggestive selling inside of social. So it's not Mm. abnormal, for example, for a customer to say, gosh, you know, um, hey, fan base of mine who has the best place for margaritas on Tuesday night. Right. And then I'm a, I'm a Mexican restaurant and I'm listening to that and I go, well, shoot, I got a $2 margarita special right here. Click, make your reservation now. And it's effortless for me. I'm like, well, heck I'm going to click right there and make my reservation and go have myself some $2 margaritas. Now 
alcohol aside, there are so many opportunities for brands to jump in here and do these things. And maybe that $2 margarita also, you know, equates to, um, you know, that's where it starts, but then it ends up being a $60 bill because I've brought my neighbors and we've had fajitas and margaritas and chips and dessert and all kinds of things. So, so it's that, that theory of like, it's okay to reach those people that are maybe looking for something that you might have. There's, there's very, very minimal cost of doing that. So when you show a brand how much money is sitting out there on the table, waiting for them to pick it up Mm. and how, even once you deduct the cost of the technology and the team, that's going to support that workflow, they're still making millions of dollars a year on average. Well, one thing I've been surprised by is how frequently brands ignore what I call jump balls. And uh, one of the most extraordinary examples is in the auto industry. I had a, had a, a really interesting uh, auto manufacturer discussion this week. I won't say which one, obviously, but it was got some exciting potential opportunities there. And what they don't seem to realize is that, you know, automobiles are a very significant purchase. And many, many other people have purchased your car, right? And whereas, you know, your most significant purchase is your home, but nobody else has purchased 4640 Delray Beach Avenue, right? Like that's, that's, so you, you don't tend to say, I'm thinking about buying this house. What else do, what do you all think of it? And people don't tend to do right. that. Maybe your friends or your you know, close relatives, but it's like not a post that you put on Twitter, but I'm thinking of buying a new SUV. What do you think? Which one that should I actually get? can elicit some pretty interesting feedback. So there are literally thousands and mm-hmm. thousands of posts a day that are like that. I'm thinking of buying an SUV. I did one just for fun, just to, cause I knew I was having this meeting and I actually at mentioned 10 equivalent competitors by, you know, so I mentioned, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, at Ford, that kind of stuff. And, um, only I mentioned 10 at three got back to me. Wow. And I mentioned them. Yeah, the real test should be I shouldn't have even mentioned they should, but I, I kind of have this sort of sinking Hashtag. feeling that no one would get back to me, right? But the uh, but the fact that only three out of ten got back to me, even with an app mention, was pretty shocking. And I was actually legitimately looking for an SUV and I legitimately actually bought one. So hmm. so you know, I'm an actual customer. Uh and but uh, but there's thousands of these every day and they're just ignored. And as we think about, I think there's a little bit of, of a point of view that somehow these modern channels are conversational, but just for chitty chatting. And I think the real change that has to occur is people have got to move to thinking about them as a way of selling and a way of driving growth for the organization and a way of leveraging the Facebook conversational commerce flows to be able to sell in line and messenger. Like there's, so we're moving to a world where this is where you're going to make a lot of money and ultimately, I think, make most of your money. But how do you how do you coach people on that? Because I'm so stunned by how backwards smart, smart companies and smart, smart people are. I almost don't even know how to, like, start the conversation sometimes. How think, do you do that? How do you coach them through that? Sorry, Amanda, go ahead. No, I, I think there's first off there's this huge misunderstanding about what social conversation is, right? So you've got all of these people who will talk to you in an owned fashion where they're at mentioning you, they're commenting on your content. And then you've got all of these conversations that are happening about you. So if you look at it, for example, from a customer service perspective, me saying, 
at Michael, um, I just have the worst experience at this Taco Bell. Don't ever go there is no different than me saying at Taco Bell, I just have the worst experience at this location. Right. Right. So that's equal. So why is someone saying at Ford, I'm thinking of buying the new Explorer. Can you tell me more? Any different than someone saying, you know, at grad, what kind of SUV did you get? I'm in the market. Right. So all selling opportunities exist out there in both this owned and earned space. And there's so much value that's being left on the table by ignoring all of those activities that happen that pertain to your brand or your industry, but don't directly mention you. It's mind blowing. It is. And, and I think part of it, uh, it's incumbent on, on the folks like me who are out there talking to these brands uh, on the front end or from a sales perspective or, Brad, in your perspective as, as more of an evangelist, yeah. is really talking to them about the art of the possible when it comes to this stuff. And I think that's what gets, that gets left on the table because when you start talking about an organization and you start seeing values and you start talking about dollars and seats and, and you kind of can get into that environment where you're, you're just focusing on like, hey, what are the five things we need to do to get this done? As opposed to, you know, how do we really make this, uh, this process evolutionary for this organization? How do we get this organization to start thinking completely differently than they did, you know, two years, five years, 10 years ago? Those seven brands, those seven other brands that didn't respond, like, wow, what a lead, right? I mean, that's something where you could actually go and you could say, hey, Mr. CMO of whatever car company it is. We'd love to talk to you about, you know, what having a healthier social and digital presence will mean for your organization and add value for you, as opposed to just, wow, we have this great product. Do you want to try and, you know, test run it or use it or incorporate it into your environment? That's where when, when you were talking about people having, I like to call uh, technology overload, where they already have yeah. 300 systems that they're using. Right. And wow, we need to add another one. Wow. You know, in the eye rolls and. And, you know, yeah. um, again, you got to you, you loop it back to the art of the possible. And what is the cost of not doing this? What is the cost mm-hmm. of not addressing it? You know, covering your ears when or your your eyes in this case, when you're you go to the Internet and you look at your one star reviews or don't look at them. There, there's there's so much potential with this. And I think people don't understand the firepower of it. Right. So I, I think it, yeah. it really is incumbent that we teach as opposed to just sell. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. Like I, I do think that we will start to see big, big, big brands figure this out. And then I think the pendulum really shifts because yeah, the big brands will be forced to respond. Okay. So we're getting near the end. Um, Michael, I understand you have your own podcast called <laughs> brilliantly. I will add pubcast, yes. which is, I kind of want to, I wish I kind of <laughs> called this pubcast. That's a Hell of a name. Um, but uh, do you want to do you want to give podcast pubcast a 30 second uh, promo? And then I'll, I'll end with some final thoughts from you, Amanda. The, the pubcast is a group of my friends sitting around talking about a lot of uh, nonsensical, uh, useless kind of uh, information that's just driven on entertainment, mostly movie reviews. Um, you know, we, we reviewed God, we've reviewed so many movies and, and they're Typically, they're older. We did Snatch, which is one of my favorite movies recently. And it's just, you know, kind of a, a group of people sitting around having a drink and having a few laughs. So check it out if you're interested. That sounds awesome. I love I love uh, shows like that where the people who are doing the show are getting progressively, um, you know, more drinky. 
Yeah, drinking, is that the word? <laughs> As the show goes on, it's usually quite fun. Uh, all right, but not this show. There's no drinking on this no. show, just water. All right, uh, Amanda, closing thoughts, and then I'll wrap. Thank you. I mean, I, my my cooking blog doesn't even compare to blog. Michael's okay. right. podcast there. But, um, yeah, I uh, in my spare time, when I'm not trying to conquer the digital world, I definitely, um, you can find me in the kitchen. <laughs> What's the uh, what's the address for your kitchen blog? It's called uh, Meal Prep Mama, and so you can just add nice. me on Facebook, Meal Prep Mama, and I'm trying to help people eat healthier, prep their meals ahead of time. Because if you're like me, you're sitting in front of a Zoom meeting for twelve hours a day, yeah. and you've got no yeah. time to eaten. cook yourself lunch or breakfast. So, pop in the microwave, and you're good to go. Look at us, digital natives. Look at all the cool stuff we're doing. Mm-hmm. We're just like a bunch all of crazy kids. <laughs> yep. yep need more hours in the day thank you thank you very much um my guests today were michael cross avp uh digital transformation and amanda sternquist global head of digital engagement uh practice uh for hgs and hgs is one of our most valued partners at sprinkler uh, they did a wonderful job presenting at our annual sales kickoff meeting recently it was uh, really great to have them there and got to know them a bit and i really appreciate all the time today and i love this conversation today uh, so for the cxm experience i'm grad Kahn, cxo at sprinkler and i will see you next time <laughs>